0: What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you another week of what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined by my trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's
1: going on, man? Not much, man. Summer, we're chilling, fine things to talk about. Not not too much, but MoviePass dropped a bomb on our heads when we needed it most. It's back. <laughs> MoviePass
0: is back um we're also going to be talking about a few albums today as well as cleaning up our our west world watching experience and talking about a, a movie i was able to make it to this weekend if you want to hear all of that the second it drops hit that subscribe on youtube.com slash or go to our twitter search at nostalgia pod and follow the link tree there to uh follow the podcast anywhere you want to or listen to it any way you want to but dave you're right movie passes back the uh the beta relaunch is dropping in just a few hours. We're recording this on Monday, August 29th. Uh, very exciting. Movie Pass was a major part of this podcast when we first started off. How do you feel about it coming back?
1: See, Movie Pass was a passage of time, figment of our <laughs> past. Uh, not was not needing it to come back at this time because we've replaced it with superior services like AMC Stubbs A-List and Regal Unlimited and Movie Pass deserves credit for kind of pushing the big theater chains to move into this kind of subscription model for movie going and innovation uh was necessary given that movie going needs that jolt to keep people coming. Of course people know this, but Movie Pass itself uh fell by the wayside after what, about a year? A little less than a year, I feel like. Did just its unsustainability of its model, despite pledges to sell user data to sustain itself. And I certainly made the most of Movie Pass while it was in its prime. That was a good time, <laughs> twenty seventeen into twenty eighteen. But alas, I, I, I'm an AMC guy now, so we thank it for its service. AMC Stubbs List Premiere, if
0: I'm correct. But Dave, how many movies did you see on Movie Pass back in the day?
1: Oh God, a ton, a ton. I
0: think I saw over fifty. You saw yeah. it like close to 100, right?
1: I think so. Yeah,
0: <laughs> used it and abused it. We were part of the problem, but hey, if that's the model that they're going to put out, uh, use it to the maximum that you can. Uh, movie pass is coming back in a different way, though. So, there's going to be three tiers to this a ten dollar, twenty dollar, and thirty dollar tier in most locations. They say that the prices may vary depending on the market that you're in. Um, and with each tier, you get a certain number of credits. Obviously, the more credits, the the more the higher your tier is. Um, and these these credits can be used for tickets to movies. Um, however, uh, if you go to see a movie on like a Thursday or Friday premiere versus like a Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, matinee, it's going to be different number of credits that you use. So unlike the last time where it was just like the wild west you just if you can go see a movie that day <laughs> you could see seven in a week uh insane insane usage this is a little bit more uh structured what right. do you think about this model
1: i mean i guess it makes sense because it's more realistic for something that can last from what i understand mm-hmm. movie pass is under new ownership it has been for some time so they've been kind of taking their time to figure out the the future of movie pass and of course the pandemic probably uh delayed that as well but yeah I mean, perhaps this will latch on to a certain degree uh be curious to see how well it's marketed to people that aren't on the internet. you know so I feel like past movie pass owners will probably figure this out, but anyone after that, who can say um but you know we're gonna talk about a movie uh later that, despite ample opportunity, really flailed at the box office you know it is it's hard to get people to go to the theater and maybe this will look like the right option for some people. Hopefully that is the case, because anything to keep people going. But yeah, I um, I definitely need to see how it goes and just see how the company operates for some time to see if people can put their trust back into it in some form.
0: Yeah, it's it's, you know, as I think about it, if you're really like a big movie person, you probably have, uh, regal or amc's uh, pass already and so i guess when i think about the like maybe 10 dollar level kind of getting those like mid-tier movie people who maybe like don't feel loyalty to either company or just kind of maybe have a theater that isn't one of those big theaters near them that this can also be used for i, I just can't imagine anyone who really likes movies that isn't already subscribed to one of those that's like, man, gotta get this movie pass subscription. So I'm just really curious to see what like what kind of people end up moving towards Movie Pass as an option. But I definitely wanted to see it succeed. I, I really uh I appreciated Movie Pass's uh pushing these companies towards the subscription model. I think it makes sense. You mentioned that there's been some attempts to try to get people into the movie theaters i just want to say real quick i saw george miller's three thousand years of longing last night and uh right before the movie it's him uh talking about you know you got to come to the movies thank you so much for seeing this in theaters the way it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be tom cruise did the
1: same thing for top gun
0: yeah exactly you see a lot of people talking about this um and they're also doing a like cinema day coming up on the third what's it called uh what's the official name of like the national
1: day? cinema day or, yeah, or movie? something movie, along movie those. going day or something like that exactly three dollar tickets across the board multiple theater chains
0: yeah what do you think about this move
1: well yeah great idea there's nothing new coming out you know yeah that, <laughs> so like, that's the issue for me too it's like that's what are people it, gonna go see? Right, and even three thousand years of longing comes out first George Miller movie in since 2015. To most people, it's an original thing, and makes no impression at all, oh. despite no competition. You know, I think it is hard to get people into the theater, and you're, it's a lot of it comes down to marketing and the way you sell and position a movie, and it's very complicated right now, and it's a haves and have-nots thing, perhaps a system like Movie Pass, like you said, a $10 low entry, low cost level might get people to go and give non-franchise blockbuster movies a chance at the theater. We'll see, you know?
0: Yeah, um, I, I appreciate the attempt. I wonder if they might put some movies back in theaters for just that weekend sort of thing to try to draw more people out if they're able to like secure those rights or work something out. Yeah. Oh yeah,
1: I believe Jaws is going to be in the theaters right now. E.T. was in the theaters a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogue One has had a, a a few IMAX showings right now. They're, they're doing anything they can, the theater owners. But yeah, uh, September's just going to be a bit dry until <laughs> like Don't Worry Darling comes out in a few weeks. <laughs> it's
0: uh, it's it's interesting because we it felt like we had so many big movies to be looking forward to. We really have hit this like dead period where we're still kind of waiting for the uh yeah, prestige movies to come out this year. And so uh I I like the ideas that are coming out but if if the product's not there, people are going to just stay home still. So the uh the state of movies a continued topic on on this platform and, and on this this uh program but we'll be talking about it more when it comes. Let us know if you sign up for Movie Pass and what and what your thoughts are on it as it rolls out. I think we're going to stick with AMC ourselves, but switching gears now to music and we're gonna start off with k-pop as it seems like we do every week now because twice dropped a new album a short album between one and two and uh you know twice i i, I think we talked about twice before haven't we
1: not as a group but we just talked about Nayeon's solo debut i'm Nayeon. what uh, month and a month and a half ago Nayeon, the first twice member to go solo Twice a nine-member group, so there's plenty of opportunity for more solo work in the future, (laughs) you can imagine. But yeah, Twice, uh, you know, I think you remarked at that time that you knew someone who worked at the concert of their most recent U.S. tour, which was very successful. I know it it sold out back-to-back days in L.A., 20,000 people each time. Twice is probably the second biggest female k-pop group in the u.s right now and also very prolific i think that's what's so interesting about them compared to they've only been around one year longer than blackpink but while blackpink has only released 30 songs to their name this is twice's 11th ep slash mini album and they also have three korean and four japanese albums just completely different strategy this is (laughs) tons of music on a very regular basis from twice and this is you know the the 11th ep the 11th mini album between one and two so In a sense, it can be a bit overwhelming to just jump into a group with so much music out there. And I'm very curious what, like, hardcore Twice fans, the once. So I would love to know what they think of the 11th Twice EP, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I guess this was a good jumping in point, though, because the group recently renewed their contracts with JYP Entertainment. All nine of them renewed. So this is like the second act of Twice as a big blockbuster group. But uh, yeah, I'd only heard some of their big songs to this point, but I did really love that Nyon solo effort. So what did you think of between one and two? Like many, many albums, a short listen.
0: Yeah, only seven songs. I thought it was pretty good. You know, um, it's interesting because I think as as people that listen to so much music every week um, and just throughout the year, we tend to gravitate towards things that feel a little bit more edgy or weird or new in a sense i think because we we hear so much of the same type of stuff and (laughs) i i found myself uh, listening to this and being like "Ah, i don't know if there's anything here that's really like pushing the boundaries or like you know sounds super new but it's all like pretty quality pop music and i i found myself like bopping along to a lot of the songs so i I kind of just left being like this is a solid album but i don't know if i like left Feeling like this is anything that's gonna make it like an end of your list or be talked about beyond just the release
1: How about you yeah i totally agree and that's why i love to know what like the more hardcore fans think do they kind of have a similar feeling because no matter how much you love an artist you know when stuff is just stuff versus like their best stuff you know um and because it's only positioned as an ep as a mini album there's not high expectations on this this really just kind of feels like Alright, we re-signed. Here's our new thing. Our new new Korean thing. They just put a Japanese album out, like less than two months ago, too. So yeah. regardless. Uh yeah, I thought it was pretty solid. You know, I definitely like the Nyan solo work more. I thought that was just really inviting for its lightness and its summery nature. I still really like Candy Floss and no problem a lot from that. On this, on between one and two, I think the the lead track, talk that talk, is pretty solid as just kind of a fun, uh, you know, pop single. I think the the hook there, right before the chorus, the "Tell me what you want, tell me what you need" part, I think that part is very catchy, and I love the performance in general of the chorus, pretty solid. But also perhaps by the numbers. Um, on the more negative side of things, I thought "Queen of Hearts," the immediate song, I thought that one was like a bit overproduced, especially like on the hook in particular just it's kind of like a lot of noise there um you know i think trouble was pretty fun just the rap on that one the bass the kick drum and the bass really sound good there and then at the end there um when we were kids a much slower track i actually thought the rhythm to that song especially in the beginning the build-up was pretty pretty good honestly like I, I still was kind of vibing with it even though it's an intentionally softer quieter song so you know other than that i think it's pretty just just another a solid release from a group that has a long track record of releasing at least solid music all the time if not much better
0: yeah i agree with all the songs you shouted out i really liked on uh trouble right around the chorus the pianos around that i thought were super Mm. catchy and fun um I, i agree with you about the rhythm on when we were kids i thought that one uh really stood out and it almost gave me like or like mid 2000s, like pop, like feelings, like, uh, like callbacks, like, I don't know if like, like tone down Britney or like, some of those mm-hmm. like softer, like female pop songs around that time. I don't know. So it was like really like touching on something in my brain for that. And yeah, talk that talk, I think was my immediate standout. I, I love how K-pop seems to just always put like the bangers right at the start. They're just <laughs> yeah. like, here, we're going to give you exactly what you want. And then you can enjoy the rest <laughs> of the album too. But like, so funny that. So yeah. good, good for that, man. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think I think that's right. Though that that I read of it feeling more uh, uh, older because I think Twice generally their sound is a bit more traditional, a bit more throwback pop. That's they they're, they almost sound more like more like second generation K-pop than mm-hmm. some of their contemporaries these days, which obviously has worked for them. They have a huge fan base, so definitely looking forward to the next. I think Twice full length in particular, Korean full length, just to hear. Uh, what's next? Because when you have this much music out and you've just renewed your contract, surely they don't want to just do the do do what they've been doing, you know. And what what does that entail as a result? We'll we'll find out. I'm sure in due time they do not leave you waiting all that long.
0: They do not leave you waiting all that long. Uh, we'll be adding a song for them to our Now Sound Best of 2022 playlist on Spotify. So check that out. But Dave, the will of the people. <laughs> Muse's newest album uh I believe this is like their ninth or tenth album. I believe album nine, nine. jeez uh I, I mean Muse is someone we've talked about I think once or twice um mm-hmm. it, uh, fairly unremarkable, I would say the uh the what we've gotten from them more recently. nothing that I found myself going back too much, but you know listening to Will of the People actually made me feel pretty excited because I felt a lot of nostalgia. Cause I felt like they were really trying to harken back to those early records, like absolution in 2004 or, um, uh, what was the other one? Black Black holes and revelations from 2006 with this album. And I, I I was wondering for you as someone that I don't think was like a big muse head back in the early 2000s when they really started to like rise to fame, what was your just overall sense of this album and listening to it in 2022?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's definitely an all-over-the-place album, but that's what kept it interesting to me. I thought there's all kinds of songs and sounds on Will of the People. Definitely, I think, one of the more intriguing albums I've heard from a legacy rock band in some time. Um, Does that mean it's all good? Not necessarily, but it's at least all pretty interesting. And definitely, I think, a lot more to think about on this and there wasn't the last album we talked about simulation theory in 2018 um These days yeah and I, I think at this point you Mew- yeah I think at this point Muse you know just you know album 9 English rock band they don't really have anything left to achieve beyond just doing this for fun and for money you know they're just, they're just chilling but you know they seem to have fun making this because I was entertained throughout the listen
0: yeah, you know it's <laughs> uh, it's actually really nice to be talking about Muse and uh, to just be really highlighting mostly things I like. There's only like two or three songs on this that I really was like I I don't want to come back to this or skip this or thought it was pretty stupid. Um, however, I've seen you know some some varied takes online. This has gotten a lot of uh, positive critical reception, but but among their fans uh, a lot like more mixed Uh, i think some people feeling like this uh this album shows like a lack of growth on their part some people i think felt like this was like an immature album especially in terms of like lyrics and and concept um and i i I lean more towards i think uh agreeing with the critics because i think i found this to be a really enjoyable album that really plays some the strengths and after simulation theory which i found fairly unremarkable and just kind of like drab um, I thought that this was exciting, and a few of the the tracks that I really like are are right in the beginning, right? So, "Will of the People," uh, a clear standout for me. Um, I I really like the chanting on that, and it kind of kind of gets the the album humming in a sense, really gets the energy up. Um, I thought a few songs later, "Liberation," which is like a clear Queen knockoff, uh, just to be like a fun song, you know? It, it, even to the like the the way that that they toned uh, like the backing vocals on that. It was like this is just clearly trying to be queen. Um and then a, a few songs later in the back half of the album Killer Be Killed and We Are Fucking Fucked even though that's a stupid name and the lyrics I think are kind of dumb I really enjoyed those songs because they just brought a lot of energy and they let Muse just like vamp in, on their their musical ability which is I think what makes them such a special group to begin with. So I I found this to be a really Fun album, but I'm wondering for you, like what songs were, were stuck out to you? Which ones did you not like?
1: Well, I think you, you really have to just hammer home Liberation, the Queen song. This is a clear Queen homage. I think pr- pretty obviously Bohemian Rhapsody at that, just going for Freddie. And whether it's the vocal flourishes, the, the background vocals, the ups and downs, the buildups, like it's honestly pretty convincing. And fun. I was like, wow, you know, you just don't hear people trying to do that all that often. We've talked about this kind of pastiche slash homage when it comes to like Greta Van Vliet and Led Zeppelin mm. recently, of course. This, for Muse as as a one-off, I think is actually pretty charming because they do it pretty well. And I was like, wow, hats off to that. I certainly wasn't expecting that. And then it's hilarious the transition right into the next song won't stand down, which is just completely different, you know? Yeah. Uh i thought that was that was really funny uh and then like later on you have uh you make me feel like it's halloween which (laughs) you know i like the sentiment the the electronic keys on that though wow this is this is just really cool and different than like a song earlier ghosts how can i move on the song right before whereas like the vocal performance is just super different and it's almost more uh more natural so yeah is it a bit messy i think so but it is kind of refreshing to hear this blatant genre hopping from a Mm -hmm. from a group uh, in this way because i think all of it's working pretty well that it's not an issue like if this was kind of like super up and down with all this sound jumping it would just sound like a group that doesn't really have a plan or know know what they're going for but i feel like they knew what they were going for on this and, and, and it was pretty convincing uh yeah
0: it's it's fun to hear them just really let loose on some of these you know like a song killer be killed i really love the drums on that it's just fucking ripping the entire time and they have pretty classic muse flourishes but dominic howard's drums are like the clear standout to me on that track um I, i i gotta say you make me feel like halloween uh not my favorite track, but <laughs> I really enjoyed the guitar solo in the second half of that. And I think that's the thing is like, when I think about listening to Muse when I first really started to love them, not every track I listened to from them I loved, but most of the time I left and I was like, well, there were parts of that song that fucking rocked. And that's the thing is, I think you can kind of come away from most of these, save maybe like Ghosts, How Can I Move On? And Verona's more toned down, although I, I do like Verona. These are just pure rock songs that infuse muses weirdness and they're like more like modern like electric uh feel and i think they pull it off pretty well um you know i i gotta say <laughs> there are some songs on this that are clearly 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 trying to harken back to some of muses early stuff like at songs off absolution and black holes i can i can agree with some of the i think criticism that it shows like a lack of growth on their part because it's like uh we haven't really been you know getting the numbers that we want let's go back to almost exactly what made us famous and what people liked um however it still fucking rocks
1: so yeah. it's
0: like if it's still fun is it really that bad i don't know
1: yeah i i don't really care about that all that much when we're talking about a group's ninth album like sure. <laughs> muse formed in 1994 I think they're allowed to have hit their creative peak already. Like it's yeah. not a problem. <laughs> yeah, that that's an interesting
0: thing to think about. Muse is going to be going on year 30 here in just uh two more years. I, I they're really a like mainstay rock group in right. the sphere, but I I feel like they're not really thought about that way a lot of
1: the time. Yeah, well, so I think they didn't really get noticed until like, I think 98 99, so not really 30 years yet in terms of people listening to them, but yeah, still I think they're like they're kind of like deceptively long-running band. You're right. People don't, th- I don't. I certainly don't think of Muse when I think of like '90s rock bands still around today. Okay. Like they just don't come to mind. But they are one of those.
0: Yeah, you know it, it's funny though because when you think about the, the those groups that are still around and really like can draw the kind of a other kind of crowd that Muse can, the only other one that really comes to mind for me is Foo Fighters and chili peppers as well oh chili peppers right right
1: they're, they're just, actually
0: more 80s but yeah i guess it, yeah, yeah well, that's
1: true you're right yeah. so
0: it's uh it's interesting to think about just how few of these big like long-running rock bands are really around and
1: use yeah that, like you said i think pearl C, jam i guess as well
0: yes uh, yeah a little oversight there but pearl jam's another good one yeah so uh still man.
1: though small group for sure
0: yeah, I, I would I would say if you like rock music, this is definitely one to check out. I think you'll find some things to enjoy, even if you don't love all of it. So yeah. any
1: last thoughts on Muse, you ready to move on? Oh, does Coldplay count, too? Are they late 90s?
0: Yeah, I guess they are late 90s. <laughs> or two, but... first
1: album's 2000.
0: All right. There you go. They're, they're they're 2000s group. We're and they make now. pop music now. So whatever.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, man. Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy some of Coldplay's more recent stuff still. Yeah. But anyways, check, the check music out of the movies. Spheres. <laughs> Let's let's move on though to a flatbush zombie going solo, Michi Darko. Uh, with I I guess this is technically his first solo LP, right? He's had a few solo EPs, but this is the first time he's gone full album. And Gothic Luxury
1: is quite the listen,
0: Dave. Did you enjoy it?
1: I did enjoy it. Debut solo album for Michi Darko, I think a lot of hype anticipation for a solo Meech record from Flatbush Zombies fans, because I think Meech has always stood out among the three vocalists on Flatbush Zombies. He's always stood out for his very distinct voice, very gravelly, uh, dark, deep voice. And on top of that, he has a personality to the way he raps, the way he performs. He's always come across, I think, as a very a unique rapper been a fan for a long time flatbush zombies been been great for a long time and kind of cool to hear Meech talk about gothic luxury coming to be in this time where the three of them Meech, Eric, uh juice they're all cool they're all just doing their own thing right now kind of exploring their own things and Meech pointed out this is his first time really rapping not on beats produced by eric the architect like this is not Eric beats for the first time. So it's different vibe. But for me, it still kind of felt like what I would expect from Meech from Flatbush Zombies. And I I definitely liked it a lot. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to revisit here because as he also told hot 97, a lot of longer tracks on this, he was like all this hype and anticipation for years and years for a solo Meech album had to like really give it to the fans. I couldn't just, make a bunch of two-minute songs and he certainly didn't do that so uh yeah i I liked it a lot what did you think
0: it was definitely challenging and i say that in the best way possible because i think Mm -hmm. that there's like a lot to explore and to really re-listen to on this and um i think you can take it at face value for being an album that's just kind of dark and um has some really great beats and some great uh, flows from Meach on this as well as I think a couple of really a really top-notch um appearances and and guest verses but I think when you kind of like listen more there's a couple of tracks that really get into some like heavy material and Mm -hmm. really like explore some uh some difficult topics and uh I, I really give him a lot of credit because you know when you're going solo um it's pretty it could be pretty easy to want to play this more a little right down the middle but he really leaned more into i think his interests and and his personal style and i thought the i thought the record was a, a really well done first record and uh there're definitely a few tracks i went back to more than others but he's just a really singular voice you know like every time you hear him you mention that gravel he really plays it up on a few of these tracks but it is so indistinguishable it's like oh you know i wasn't sure whose verse i was no you know when Meach is, is rapping right and i think yeah. that really comes across
1: in this <laughs> totally yeah i think that's right and i agree like there's some songs i don't necessarily want to re listen to just because they're they're dense or they're they're dark you know he gets into the recent passing of his dad killed by police in early 2020 and kind of builds on the fact that he didn't have a, a great relationship with his dad throughout a lot of his life and rekindled that later in life. And now his dad's gone. And how's he feel about that, I think you listen to songs like uh, kill us all where he's really getting into uh commentary on society and things like that. Um, perhaps more in an abstract way on a song like what if, where he positions all kinds of stuff about rap and culture and stuff. What if this, what if that, you know, Tupac, what if Chance the Rapper was an atheist? You know, some of them are just kind of funny thoughts. But, uh you know, on the other hand, there was a, what song was it? There was that one song where I thought some of his, uh, maybe it was Kill Us All, I forget. Some of his observations were a bit of like, hmm, it's like kind of rub your chin when he says some stuff, you know, just kind of getting into a bit of like, oh, both sides are bad stuff, you know. It's like, oh, you're not really saying much here, my guy. It's fine. It's fine because again, he, the way he performs is always just so convincing. You know, it's like yeah, I don't, I, I don't necessarily need me to like write me a dissertation on society. I'm, I'm fine just to kind of get that raw emotion that he's really more interested in getting out more than actually preaching to you in any way. So, you know, and then I think you get something just a lot more inviting, like uh, on God with Gangsta Gibbs, and it's like, I mean say less with that one <laughs> yeah that was that was the clear standout to me on god really loved that
0: and obviously you get a track on that as well it's yeah it's a really great me- uh, mix of talent and just energy and then lost souls uh, has probably the other really big guest verses from busta rhymes and denzel curry man busta rhymes may be the only person that can like match him in terms of like vocal delivery that's <laughs> a good point i thought it was a really nice matchup and it was so catchy like that chorus that Denzel sings it's uh really really well done in my opinion
1: totally yeah I feel like Den if I remember right Denzel and Flatbush Zombies have a bit of a history together they did this concert performance where they like were in like a, a like a boxing ring or something I want to say that was like a small tour or a one-off set or something so they, they, they've they been moving together for some time um but that was you know Denzel doing more of his more modern stuff we got on the Mel my eyes album earlier this year more melodic you know um, I'd, I'd love to hear Meech and Denzel just rap back and forth because we certainly know Denzel could handle that too. Um, yeah, you know, I think there's just other notes like uh, Prada You. Like, I just think Meech's flow is really good. The flow changes a lot on this album, which, again, combining with his voice, it just always makes stuff interesting. Uh, Hennessy and Halos, uh, another one with awesome flow. Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Lavish Habits. I thought some of his wordplay on that was really fun. Um, definitely got to listen a few more times. I think to pick up up some of the more lyrical stuff, but Mm -hmm. definitely feels worthy for the long awaited solo album for Michi Darko feels great for flatbush zombie fans that have been, uh, you know, wanting more music. You know, we haven't had a proper flatbush zombies album since 2018. We had the EP in 2020 and the beast coast album. So it's been a minute, you know, uh, that being said i think this is this was definitely worth the wait definitely very interesting and uh you know it's funny hearing Meek talk about why it came out when it did he when, when he picked uh, august 26 no one else had picked that as a release date and then of course jid dropped and he was like <laughs> ah fuck me but <laughs> i think uh the hip hop fans can make time for both certainly yeah i i think it's um
0: I think it's worth listening to if you enjoy especially East Coast hip-hop, but just hip-hop in general. It's it's mm-hmm. definitely singular. Um, the production being so dark, I think, can be a turn off to some people, but it's I think it's pretty good. So uh, check that out. Check out whatever song we put on our Nostalgia Best of 2022 playlist on Spotify. But you mentioned Jid, Dave, and he dropped, I guess this would be, what, third? I don't know. It's hard with, with DiCaprio, too, right? Is that another mixtape is that a i don't know
1: i think this is the third jid album after the never story and dicaprio 2 and then dicaprio 1 was an ep or a mixtape of some kind (laughs) third third full length third uh dreamville album Mm. from jid who had a bit of a career pre-dreamville as people know such as being part of spillage village we had the spillage village album come out in 2020 but DiCaprio 2 was a while back. That was 2018. So it's been a long time coming for another solo JID album. And I think his profile, his his rating has rapidly risen between DiCaprio 2 and now. He's kind of like a must-listen-to feature when you hear JID on other people's songs. Of course, always highlights of any of the Dreamville projects. A lot of anticipation for a new JID record. And this one, I think, is... It is it is cool to see him kind of close the book between his breakthrough project, The Never Story, with this titled The Forever Story, and I think he certainly lived up to the hype in anticipation. He was getting a lot of flowers online this past weekend, a lot of attention from other rappers, too, which I think is always really cool to see people just kind of shouting out their their peers. You know, I th- uh, Rich Bryan was a big fan of Cody Blue 31, for example. Um Yeah, so I had a lot of hype for a new JID record, and I think this one definitely delivered definitely a lot to stew on with this one, a lot to revisit. What did you think about it?
0: Well, it was funny listening to this and Michi Darko back to back, because I think this is a much more palatable uh, hip hop album, and I left very satisfied. I thought this was a, a really wonderful listen. A few tracks that really caught my ear and stood out um and that i wanted to go back and listen to i thought there were some great features and i think just overall like uh like really i don't know enjoyable vibes on this like i found myself really just enjoying this and enjoying the the production and the beats and uh like a, a fully formed vision and execution on this in my opinion tell me about what what you like so it seems like you enjoyed it as well
1: yeah well, and I I think sometimes with Jid in the past, and on this album, there are times where I think his performance, he's a very technical, capable rapper. He can rap very fast. There are times, I think, when he's rapping fast, and my eyes just kind of gloss over. I'm like, this actually isn't doing what you think it's doing. It's just kind of annoying. But because the production, I think, is really intentional and interesting, there's tons of beat switch-ups, there's tons of flow switch-ups so many flourishes throughout these songs that nothing ever gets stale. And he's switching up his performance so frequently that Mm -hmm. even if I am starting to kind of drone out to, you know, him rapping really hard or something, you'll immediately snap out of it because he just is always keeping it moving. I feel like with these songs and that, that's what I think I liked kind of almost above anything else. Whereas like, There's just like so much change and so much forward momentum with the forever story with these songs. And I think it's just really fascinating to see these like really multi layered tracks. It makes sense that this took a long time to come out because I'm sure tons of these songs took forever to finish because clearly just, you know, new ideas, adding ideas to old ideas, stuff like that. However, this was made. Um, It's just more or less always interesting. To uh to highlight
0: that point about him like being technical and it maybe not working the way that you want it to, but then he kind of always finds a way to bring you back around. I think a clear example of that for me is Can't Punk Me with Earth Gang. Uh Renata produced track. So it's, you know, mm. very singular sounding compared to the rest of the album. But I <laughs> that first verse, he comes in and he really is just so technically like delivering each bar, and it feels almost like devoid of like passion or excitement but then he kind of starts to break it up as he gets to the end and he really gets into this almost like kendrick lamar like delivery where he's rapping incredibly fast and like changing up his cadence and i was like oh okay i'm back into this now then earth king comes in and the whole energy of the song (laughs) changes completely Mm -hmm. but i just uh, i i think that was a really great example of the point you were trying to make and that does kind of happen a few times on the album but i agree i think like The guests that he has come on, the things he's rapping about, as well as the production on this just always kind of sucks you back in, even when sometimes it might feel a little stale or like a little samey. So Mm -hmm. I, I think that that's that's right on. You know, one of the earlier tracks that really stood out to me was Dance Now. Oh, yeah. Which is so such a weird track. Right, like his his like background vocals on that are so like pitched up in this like weird, yeah. almost like oompa loompa like way. Right, I'm yeah. telling you,
1: dude, we need the minions to remix that song. <laughs> Those sound like the minions, like with a deep humming voice. Maybe, Wouldn't that be it hilarious? Is. What are their names? Kevin, like, uh, Bob, or something? Bob, I don't yeah, know. I've never I seen that. the minions, but people know. Yeah. yeah, yeah, dance now. What a great look for Kenny Mason, by the way. I'm really happy yes. he has the features on this because he he definitely deserves more eyeballs.
0: Yeah, and just the, the uh the chorus on this is is so fun. The delivery throughout and like those background vocals that you talked about when they get into the I, I, I I don't know why, it just like fits so good. Um so I, I really loved that song. What other songs stood out to you from this?
1: Yeah, uh well I think the early single is a lot of fun, surround sound with Twenty One Savage and Baby Tate. Just just kind of fun, you know, southern rap right there. People know how good 21's been lately um other features i liked can't make you change ari lennox fellow dreamville signee there i thought ari lennox was really good on that honestly one of my favorite features from her in a while she has an album coming out in i think two weeks very excited about that um yasin Bey, most deaf on stars i thought was really good he's i think in his later years a bit up and down at times but i thought that was a good one and didn't expect to say it, but I thought Lil Wayne was honestly really great on just in time. Usually i don't really have much time for his his stuff these days. But I thought that was really solid, really fit the song. Little Wayne sounded very clear. Uh that was good. But even just Jid's songs, I thought just just from the jump, like he wastes no time in really telling you what kind of album this is. Because on like the first proper song Radar, the way that starts and like it immediately flips and there's like this vocal dubbing back and forth with Jid's normal voice. Like it just Again, super interesting. Always, always changing up what it is. A Bit more traditional towards the beginning. You have "Crack Sandwich," where just really great beat and just a really great performance from Jid. And then like, oh wow, okay, really good. And then the song kind of flips and has a completely different outro. You know, again, yeah. always keeping it going. Uh, some of his lines, I think, are just really funny. Obviously, when he's when you're this kind of technical rapper, you can say all kinds of shit. You know, I don't know if he gets super political on this certainly not as uh specific as Michi Darko was at times on his album but still you know little lines here and there like on money where he's like fuck Hulk Hogan and fuck Joe Rogan because it flows or whatever he says yeah. it you know <laughs> stuff like that coming in quick yeah, yeah. There's, there's just a lot of enjoyable stuff
0: there definitely is I, I one of my favorite lines actually came in uh can't make you change with Ari Lennox in the first verse he's uh talking he's talking about um you can't change a person playing games grill you should find a sub music child or little wayne should teach me how to love um just like a, a great callback yeah. to a, a right. like forgotten little wayne song but just yeah. music soul know. child but yes yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i heard that one too that was good
0: yeah i I enjoyed that and uh yeah i i just really like was thinking about jid's like standing right and you like as you mentioned he hasn't like put out a lot of solo stuff obviously in a while been doing some stuff with um spillage village in a sense like when he first like really like came onto the scene in my head i feel like it was like him and corday felt like mm. the, the people coming up in that kendrick lamar lane that really could like hop off in that sense but corday's had some albums that you know uh, i think people could debate but I, I would say have been fairly disappointing to, to yeah, this extent. The last one for sure and Jid not putting out a lot of stuff. I mean, he sounds a lot like Kendrick Lamar at times on this, and I, mm-hmm. I hate to like keep like putting him in that box because he's you know he's no one's Kendrick <laughs> at, at all. But it, where do you like to see him in terms of his stature in the rap game right now?
1: Yeah, I kind of view him as a probably a marginally more popular Denzel Curry in terms Ooh. of the way people like him and think about him.
0: It's Jid's
1: Jid's kind of relationship uh, standing. With Cole, I think really benefits him because he's kind of risen up as the most significant rapper uh, on Dreamville after J. Cole. And I think also because most of the other, you know, big, big, like, like think about it, like, Baby Keem, really close to Kendrick, obviously related. Like, I think people would take JIT over Keem. You know, Drake has never really had anyone through OVO reach Mm -hmm. this level either. Um, now, whether Jade is able to get out of the Cole shadow and also get out of the Kendrick Comparison shadow, I think the Kendrick Comparison shadow is going to be a bit more challenging because you can still yeah. hear it on this album. Oh, yeah. But he clearly has, I think, blossomed alongside Cole to the benefit of Cole, uh, Cole, Cole helping him, you know, all that. So I think he's definitely his own man in that regard. But, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, even though he's an Atlanta guy, even though he's making Southern rap, I don't know how mainstream he actually is. I want to see how successful this album is with its first week, just because he does feel out of place when you think of like your little babies and your your futures and your other Atlanta stars. And again, he does have 21 on this, and they sound great together. So, Jid's really good. Certainly deserves that more mainstream look, but he's also not making music specifically like Targeting that either, I think surround sounds the closest you get to that. But other than that, like these are very dense, complicated, varied, multi-layered songs. That's intentionally not going to be for everyone. So it's interesting to think about his status, but I, I think definitely his popularity, at least on the internet, has risen tremendously since DiCaprio Two came out.
0: Yeah, it, no, I I think to to your. Point- your point about Kendrick and that, that comparison listening to this almost made me appreciate Kendrick more because of how much Kendrick is able to use his vocals to Mm. make it feel like there's so many more people on the album than they are. And like, yeah, it's just like, damn, like he, he's such a singular artist, but I, I, I thought the Denzel Curry comparison is interesting, right? Because I, I I don't think of them as similar artists, but I do agree that they're probably similar in certain terms of like, stature and popularity um i hope that this gets um some love this album because i i definitely think it's his best work today his singular work today and i, I think mm-hmm. uh i think there's a lot of room for him to continue skyrocketing if if he can find that audience so i don't know an artist i definitely like want to see want to see more success for him for sure
1: yeah you're thinking it I, it's got to be a top 10 rap record this year so far i have to mm. think you know, I, I like the Vince Staples album more than this, but um, I think the Kendrick album is just more accomplished. But you no, know, after those two, it's a bit of more of a conversation. So, have you, have you found yourself going back to that Kendrick album? No, I haven't. Me neither. Apart from a few songs like Father Time, mm-hmm. I haven't. But we kind of nailed that at the time. We're like, this is right. this was an album for him. This was a true a piece of art you know, that is effective, I think, at what it's trying to convey, but it is also, by no stretch, damn. It is not no. accessible. So, yeah. <laughs> it kind of makes sense that it didn't sell as well and didn't stick around as well, because that's just not the kind of music it is. And I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure album 5, for, or album 6 from Kendrick will be uh, a bit more inviting. So, TBD yeah. there.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, just even reflecting on, like, what are the other like hip-hop albums that really have, like, taken over the year i mean megan i guess yeah it just came out Megan Um, just
1: came out uh do you put beyonce's hip-hop i don't think so right no i wouldn't i mean there's like smaller stuff right the earl album the denzel album Mm -hmm. vince is number one for me um but yeah i mean we haven't had oh uh you know and drake didn't release rap when he when he made (laughs) came camp music this year so I remember Drake. I just not worth mentioning in this conversation, in my <laughs> right. opinion. Right, um, and like a lot of the other big, big guys have sat out this year so far. And you know, apologies to future, but that one didn't compare for me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, it's a good interesting, one.
0: interesting um, hip hop year for sure. We'll be uh, obviously talk about that as we get close to the end of the year. But let's let's move off of music for now. Check out our our nostalgia best of twenty twenty two playlist. But Dave westworld season four wrapped up a few weeks back we're just getting to it now as as anyone that's listened to the program for our westworld takes in the past knows not the biggest westworld fan so <laughs> season four we did our uh our episode one and season four preview um i was not optimistic for this season i thought it was going to continue going in a direction that i just could not comprehend and they actually surprised me because i found myself by the end of the season feeling like i understood a bit more what was going on (laughs) i thought they they simplified things enough where i was like this is a lot easier to follow and to enjoy and i think instead of it being like it you know keeping this mystery of who's against who who's on what team who's trying to accomplish what they really distilled it down to like three different factions mm-hmm. and that made it so much better to follow in my opinion so and then i think giving us more tessa thompson really elevated the season as well um so they made some really good choices to try to save westworld and we'll talk about if they were able to do that at the end of the review what was your just general take of season four
1: yeah i agree definitely surprised me probably the second best westworld season after the first one i'd have to think Def League's better than Season 3, which I completely lost both of us, but yeah, I think making it much more coherent also really benefits the dramatic stakes that have been very uneven throughout the run of Westworld. Inevitably, when you have these these hosts that can be healed, repaired, come back to life, it's hard to invest in the immediate danger that they often encounter because they can just bounce back. And they still do that on this, but I think it's at least a bit more convincing, a bit more dramatic. And that whole host versus human conflict, I think was a lot more, uh, a lot simpler to grasp and therefore invest in still a flawed show, still a show that had some subplots I didn't care for, but I thought it was much more convincing as kind of being that more openly science fiction series that I had transitioned to in season three and I think it actually kinda ends in a solid place if it wasn't wasn't renewed for season five. It has not yet actually been renewed for season five, two weeks after the season four finale. Uh so I guess that's TBD there, new management at HBO. Maybe they wanna cut some costs and look at the Westworld ratings. I don't know. But there's probably a reason we haven't heard anything yet. We'll find out. Um but it actually kinda ends, I think, in a solid way. You know, it's do I think Westworld's super profound? No, I don't. But I was at least a lot more entertained with this one. I think that's just because, like you said, some of those core storylines are just easier to get in, get into. And Tessa Thompson just with the hard carry this season, like, yeah, r- really, uh, I think convincingly doing a great job and putting the team I, on her back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think my I think my favorite stuff though was early on the uh, Maeve, Caleb, Tandy New, and Aaron Paul stuff early on. I really liked that up and up through like with a season four reveal where we have these two timelines and we um, you know Maeve gets killed and then we see her get dug up in the future out of the sand I was like oh wow this is actually pretty fun this is pretty good Uh, I like that a lot everything with Tessa was great it was actually kind of fun to see two Ed Harris's host Ed Harris and uh, normal uh, James Delos uh, trapped you know he's not actually dead could have fooled me i thought he died at the end of season three whatever <laughs> who knew <laughs> um
0: yeah i actually to your point I, and i believe it's episode four generation loss where um mave and, and caleb are trying to take down um you know ed harris and tessa thompson uh, charlotte and aren't no who's that oh. the men in black is is james delos yeah delos thank you right yep and uh Basically, it gets to this point where you find out it's just a simulation, you know. And and Caleb finds out that he's he's a host. Uh, he's been a host. They've run the simulation like hundreds of times. It always kind of goes this way. And uh, I thought that episode because it also brings uh, together the the two timelines, like you talked about with Bernard and Caleb's daughter C. Um, I thought that was maybe the episode of the season. Um, not only incredible set pieces and incredible like chase episode and like uh, just like James Bond esque setup, but the like reveal of Caleb actually having died in the past and um, you know mm-hmm. him being a, a host now, I thought was really effective. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I I thought the relationship between him and Maeve, like that friendship, was really uh, one of the highlights of the season for me character wise. So I I thought that was definitely one of the best episodes they've had since season one um and yeah i think a lot of the early stuff although i did like the penultimate episode a lot where like they're trying to like
1: infiltrate uh charlotte's like lab and uh right. Bernard's setting up some plan and all that stuff i thought that was pretty well done too right uh, let me correct that too the men in black ed harris is actually william william not james right. Delos. James Dallas was peter moulin's character from that like one flashback episode um yes so was was tessa still charlotte hale or wasn't she just dolores now like kind of confused like she used to be charlotte (laughs) hale but isn't charlotte hale dead i don't know
0: Uh, i know that i know that at the end of the season um uh, there she was calling her Hale. uh that right uh, right what what's her name uh why can't i think of her name you just said it um evan rachel wood's character is calling her Hale. so i yeah
1: yeah, dolores so i figured she was still her but i don't know it's yeah (laughs) <laughs> but that's the thing. I actually thought it, w- it was still compelling enough and entertaining enough that I didn't have to really worry about, like, if I knew some of those details. I could just kind of roll with it. Um, the stuff I didn't like was really everything with, like, Dolores Prime, with Evan Rachel Wood. <laughs> like, it, it, you kind of see where that's going, I think, a few episodes before it's fully revealed. But, like, everything with her reality and then you have James Marsden coming back as Teddy. Like, oh, that just felt like a... Waste of time, like spinning of the wheels before she inevitably, you know, gets, comes back to prominence in the finale. And I feel like more than anything, is like they just kind of need something to do for Evan Rachel Wood because she's on the show and part of the cast. And it's like, well, her character is effectively going to be serviced in its villain form by Tessa Thompson. So what do we use Evan Rachel Wood for? So they just kind of mm-hmm. had her do this thing, regaining her memory. which apparently was her own plan, whole plan all along, which is whatever. But like, it's just kind of dull, you know, compared to like being with Caleb and Maeve or watching Ed Harris go to the golf course and hit lots of hole in ones, whatever (laughs) it was, you know?
0: Yeah. And man, what uh, what a waste of it. Ariana DeBose, huh? Like, oh, yeah, just playing her friend who pops up here and there in some episodes. And uh, yeah, I I thought that was uh, just puzzling puzzling um use of her you know another character that's just totally wasted and i I don't think the show's ever figured out how to really use her is angela seraphine's clementine oh yeah i I have no idea what's going on with clementine she just like pops up every once in a while and she's like either like maybe bad or maybe good and like you never know and that's pretty clearly bad this time but like i just
1: still like she's just kind of (laughs) there
0: Yeah, and like even at the end of the season, like obviously she's bad and she's trying to kill Caleb, but I, I like yeah. wasn't even fully sure of her motivation. She's just like a henchman at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Kills
1: Stubbs, right? Uh, did she
0: kills Stubbs. I,
1: yeah, I, I think. I'm sure so. Yeah, well, also like, another character that's just kind of there. Yeah, he's just there, yeah. but like kills in quotes. Like we see, <laughs> we see uh, Bernard. We see Jeffrey Wright get domed. We see tessa thompson get domed and then we watch her come back to life in the next episode like there there still are no stakes at all especially when the one human character left caleb actually turns out he's a host now too it's like I know. you just kind of have to go with it like the there are, are there any humans left that we know because charlotte hale's dead original man in black william is now dead and I caleb don't... we learned is dead too like oh his daughter right? Oh, his daughter. Yes, new character this season. Yes, that's about it.
0: <laughs> um,
1: whatever. I don't yeah. care. I, just... I, I don't really
0: care either. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I do feel like it left off in a place where it could be a series finale. Do you think they'll pick it back up? The ratings really dipped this season.
1: If they do, I think they pick it up for one final season. But yeah, it yeah. is kind of a. There's something about the show that even though I haven't liked it more often than not, it just kind of kind of has been fascinating to watch and think about through its many iterations. And just it's just kind of like a a beautiful mess half the time, despite a wealth of talent on the screen and behind it. It's just like, huh, what is going on with this? But it, 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 on its face, it's very funny just to reflect on how far Westworld has come since 2016 when we watched season one, you know, it's just so much more different. Mm -hmm. And at at least I think they, they, they they found themselves in these huge changes partially through simplifying it, but also I think just making it just a bit more dramatic through that simplification. So if it doesn't come back for season five, I don't think I'll, you know, I I won't cry over (laughs) that spilled milk or anything, but I would be curious to see, how they would wrap it up with one more season.
0: Yeah. And I wonder how many of these characters would actually come back, you know, because at, at this point, I mean, like you said, is anyone actually dead on the show? But um, at the end of the season, you see Charlotte Hale or the host take the mind out and crush it. Right. So, I mean, Evan Rachel Wood is there. Everyone else I think is gone except for C. So is it going to be like a C versus
1: Dolores type deal? Like, I don't know. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, did we not see a new version of Maeve this year? But like, you know, like her new like her new her new her host brain is is new. Right? It's like a new version, but like right. it's still the same actor to the yeah. viewer and more or less feels like the same person. Mm-hmm. So even if they're not technically resurrected, it feels like they are. So I would assume that we would see some familiar faces via that manner if there was another season
0: well westworld drop us your thoughts um i i hope i hope it gets a final season i hope it gets to wrap up the way that it intends to um but we'll we'll see if that happens let us know if you enjoyed it or not but dave we're gonna wrap up today <laughs> this is funny that if you're watching on youtube the poster i have behind me it's like i'm i'm in tilda swinton's position <laughs> on the poster for Three Thousand years of longing george miller the mad max fury road director and mad max just in general director um dropping his first movie in seven years first since fury road been a while and it's this adaptation of a uh short story from the 90s uh Mm -hmm. called the the gin and and in the nightingale's eye or something along those lines, 1994 and really i think the the what what brings you to this movie is you have George Miller, you have Tilda Swinton, you have Idris Elba, and that's that's the setup right there, kind of being billed as like adult Aladdin type of thing. Right. I think some people comparing it to everything, everywhere, all at once, which I I don't think it, I could, I would put it in that realm. Um, but it's definitely got a lot of interesting, um, a lot of interesting themes to it. What I was most surprised by with this movie, and I'll start there, and Kind of go and kind of move forward. George Miller obviously lauded for being such a great action film director. Yeah, this movie has almost no action. In fact, a lot of it is uh, Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba talking in a hotel room for about the first hour or so. And now it has flashbacks to other stories. Um, You know, Tilda Swinton is this uh, this narratologist. She studies stories and is a very well respected scholar in the field of ancient stories and themes and how stories uh you know were kind of the the science of the past ways that people made sense of the world but as stories um as we understand science better now we turn less to stories to help us understand the world and it, it's interesting because uh you know it kind of starts off as a bit of a ghost story in a sense uh where in the beginning she's presenting she has this vision that comes to her while she's presenting and she passes out from this vision and then goes back to her hotel room after you know stopping at like this local gift shop and i think she's in like turkey or something like that and um uh no sorry it's in it's in istanbul and she um like it's just cleaning. This is like a side note. She's cleaning the the this bottle that she gets with a toothbrush that turns mm-hmm. out to be her electric toothbrush. Uh-huh. Which I was like, that's a, that's a weird choice to use your own electric toothbrush to clean off this you know souvenir you bought. But I guess whatever. Do you British people not you know always known for their dental hygiene? That's a, a stereotype. But um...
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just,
0: it was it was a uh, off putting. It was an off-putting part of the movie to me. But anyways, Jeannie comes out this, this gin from uh thousands and thousands of years ago from the time of Sheba and Solomon. And he proceeds to tell her, you know, that she has three wishes uh, and classic. Yeah. Classic, right. This is the whole Aladdin setup, but really it, the story takes a turn because while you think it's going to be about what are the wishes that Tilda Swinton's character, who I keep calling her Tilda Swinton. I should, say that the character's name is uh, uh Alethea. Uh, um I think they actually say Alethea, which is <laughs> a bit off putting because I never heard it pronounced that way, but Alethea uh in her wishes. Instead it's actually about Jin and his hmm. three incarcerations as a genie in his life. Okay. And he talk he tells the first story about how he was uh Sheba's like confidant. And I think he was actually a cousin to her technically and also a lover, which is like a bit of a strange um, strange dynamic, but you know those times were different. And he talks about Solomon's courtship of Sheba and um, how Solomon's powers were actually what made him uh, be imprisoned in the bottle to begin with. then moves forward to a hundred years or I believe it might even be more than that where he then is uh, found by another, very powerful person and he tells the story of um you know their use of him to like actually it was he wasn't found by a powerful person he was found by someone who used his powers to get connected with a powerful person who then ended up uh getting killed for whatever reason and then he's put back in the bottle um and so this is actually his fourth time coming out of the bottle Mm. His three thousand years of longing to this point exactly the interesting thing about the first half of the movie being all about the djinn is you get these flashbacks to these period pieces that are really interesting and I think well-designed and very like cool to be in these uh, ancient temples and palaces and, and kind of going through history in that sense. The second half of the movie is more so about uh, um decision to Use her wish to basically make the djinn love her the same way that she loves him, and they end up she ends up bringing the djinn back to London with her. And they, you know, have this relationship, they have this romance. And while I think, um, certain aspects of it, you know, are, are interesting and certain ones aren't, and it's also a bit, um, I think, complex because there's points where you kind of question the the djinn's existence and, and if it's actually a djinn there's some other like magical things that go on around it the idea of our own stories you know aletheia being this person who had had a marriage before that didn't work out and how that impacted the way that she was able to love others now and how she found happiness now um and how her relationship with the djinn kind of highlights her own personal journey as well as how the the jinns like magic and his ability to be in this world is heavily impacted by things like the television or the internet or radio waves because instead of stories being passed from word of mouth now everything's passed through transmitters and through you know waves in the sky and he's affected by this and so it's kind of interesting to think about the metaphors of it all and what the what George Miller is really trying to pinpoint with this story in terms of his own meaning and his own storytelling. So I found it to be a, a really thought-provoking film. I I didn't love it. It felt a little slow, especially in the first half. The second half, when they finally move in together, I'm a little bit more intrigued by. It, I think because it's I just didn't expect the movie to go in that direction. But overall, I I think that this is definitely one worth seeing. And if you can, if you get Movie Pass and you get your credits. Go use it and, and check this out. But Dave, do you plan
1: to see this one? Oh, yeah, totally. I just scheduling screwed me here. I feel bad because the 3000 year, 3, years of longing, George Miller's first movie in seven years. Very poor box office. and Very disappointing despite no competition at the end of August. This movie made $2.9 million in its first weekend in over 2,400 theaters. The theater's... Theater Chains actually asked for a bigger release than they were originally planning at United Artists due to the lack of new product. And despite that, the movie's still really flop, which is tough. It's going to be a big, uh, big loss for sure. 60 million budget, but yeah, George Miller is just kind of a funny one, right? Four Mad Max movies, two Babe movies, two Happy Feet movies. Here we are. Three thousand years of longing in a sense it's exactly what people asked for more or less, uh, original story, you know it's an adaptation but it's uh unfamiliar to I assume damn near everyone and you know you got a genie involved. It's very fantastical. You'd 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 think this is something that would entice people. Maybe it was a marketing problem. Not really sure, but uh definitely going to be checking it out soon and yeah, it, it's interesting to hear anything compared to everything everywhere all at once uh this year given how wild and uh out there that movie is through its whole runtime. And it sounds like 3000 years of longing is not quite at that level. Like you said, as a very slow start. That's definitely not like everything everywhere.
0: No, definitely not. And uh I, I'm I'm interested to see how this um how this does when it gets to like a streaming service. Is this is a movie that by the end of the year more people are talking about? Because I do think uh Elba and and Swinton are really really strong in this. And I can see this maybe getting some more love at, um, at, on end of year lists, but I, I definitely feel like this is one that's going to slip through most people's radars until it hits the small screen.
1: Unfortunately. yeah, I saw someone on Twitter say that in 10 years, people will pull a speed racer on this mm. movie and talk about how much they love it and how underrated it was, even though nobody went to go see it at the time and actually support it.
0: <laughs> I like that take. I think that I, I could see that happening for sure. Anyways, that's going to wrap us up there for this week, Dave, what do we have for next week?
1: Yeah, we got, I think, two big things. We have What We Do in the Shadows Ending. We have Young Blood, uh album, but two big things. 2022 Emmy predictions and on Amazon Prime Video, the premiere of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, the $1 billion investment from Amazon. Will it pay off? I have a lot of hype anticipation. I hope it does. Well
0: hit up the uh twitter at nostalgia pod follow the link tree to follow the podcast any way you want to there subscribe on youtube at youtube.com slash nostalgia and again follow our nostalgia best of 2022 playlist summer is coming to a close but the content is heaving up so stay tuned peace out <laughs>